content of this podcast is provided as general informational purposes only. It is not intended for, nor should it be used to replace professional behavior intervention and advice. This is Sissy. And this is Susan, and we are Function Junction. Behavior matters. You know what else matters? What else matters? People who have known for a very long time. I am thrilled to have Teresa Peterson on our um, podcast today. She is a, a mother of a young man who I met 21 years ago. So her <laughs> son is now 25 years old, and I know he's doing great things because I followed you over social, social media. And Teresa, I wanted you to first be welcomed and talk a little bit about you know growing up with your son, but also the field that you eventually went into because of him. Oh my goodness. I learned uh, so much through my son. He really taught me so much more about myself than anything in the process. But I think one of the the really great programs that I sort of lucked into was partners in policymaking. Mm-hmm. And through that process, I really did learn how to become a more effective parent advocate for him mm-hmm. and learned the basics of, of like self-determination, people first language, again, even more about myself and, and communication and you know, just really, truly just how to be a more effective um, advocate. In that process, I also learned about my own learning disabilities um, because I had to start to write. I was forced to write thank you letters to our guest speakers Uh and this went over an eight-month program. And I was forced to overcome those hurdles that I had myself. And through some wonderful mentorship in that program, I did learn to write. And I even ended up winning a Barbara Jordan Media Award in the process. Congratulations. (laughs) That's fantastic. Now, if I remember correctly, you know, to our audience, Teresa and I met as an, I was an in-home trainer and I met Teresa and her son, like I said, 21 years ago. And one of the, the target behaviors for school at home was really enjoying, well, I should state it operationally, flushing the toilet on multiple occasions within one trip. Right. Because he liked to see the water drain and you were commenting. And I think that's so funny. You had a septic system. And so your yard was the greenest in all of the neighborhood. And Mm. I remember that he really it was a stem, like you said. And um, I remember, you know, I I don't remember what we did. I'm sure we used visuals and positive reinforcers. And I remember that was something for you to work on as well as a parent, because you were like, no big deal. He just flushes it multiple times, you know. But that does get become a priority in school when other kids are waiting for the bathroom and things like that. And I know you live in a small community. He's the youngest of several. Is that right? No, he's actually the oldest. He has one younger sibling. I have a much older daughter. Okay. Um, but, and she was already grown and out of the house. She's 18 years older than he is. Okay. So it was like this was second kind of go around, right? Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That happens. Um, Yeah. When I realized what was going on with my son and I was reading about autism, it was like, okay, I'm reading about my, my child for the first time because parents magazine never covered it. Right. 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 So so it's like, okay, I learned what this was. He was diagnosed PDD NOS moderately. So he was right in the thick of things. Um, and he had sensory integration issues off the charts. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's where I think that toilet thing, you know, came in because he really would be attracted to that. He he would seek out that kind of input. Yeah. And so at home, I learned how to create a, a sensory diet. 
Mm-hmm. And we started um, living, you know, that way, not just when I took him into therapy. And I learned how to develop a visual schedule that we lived on for like three years. Yeah. Very, I mean, just strictly. And if there was any changes to be made, then I was I was making those changes on his visual schedule. I learned about positive behavior supports. Huh? Actually, initially, I learned I was learning about positive behavior supports before he was even diagnosed because I used to watch this guy on Channel Two News and Sunday mornings, mm-hmm. and he said knowledge is power, and it was a segment on Sunday morning. Channel 2 News that he was giving parenting advice to teenagers. And I thought, well, okay, teenager, three-year-old, teenager, three-year-old. That's, you know, about the same. So I was listening (laughs) (laughs) and and he was the one that said, you know, say what you do, do what you say, be careful with the words that you choose. Like I I learned to stop saying the word don't because eventually it follows everything that, you know, you don't want to see your child doing. Totally. Um, And it was just, I mean, so many things that were just so incredible from that segment that I ended up utilizing. It really just reinforces the whole idea that, you know, all these things that I learned to do for my son, they're great parenting tools for anyone. And relationship tools, you know, imagine telling your husband, don't do this, don't do that. Tracy, if I remember correctly, you began your journey with partners in policymaking pretty pretty early on, right? He was four. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. And I actually met you. He had just been diagnosed and the school district sent me to my very first autism conference. And that's uh-huh. where we met. And then a week later, you're sitting in my living room. Yes. <laughs> that's so crazy. Yes. Because back you- in the day, we did a lot. Districts did a lot of parent training through sending parents to conferences. And I, I don't know that they do it that much anymore because the population's gotten so quite big in the last two decades. But um, the partners in policymaking, that led you to continue your education as well. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. I learned a whole lot more about myself and realized it wasn't about changing him. It was about changing me and growing. I learned that I had, I thought, dyslexia. I have since, I have a lot of friends in the business now. So uh, a friend that's an LSSC or LCC, she's a licensed school counselor. LSSC? Uh, yes, thank you. Okay. She she was listening to my symptoms and she's like, you know, I don't think you have dyslexia. I think you have a learning disorder. So I think I had a learning disorder that I had oh. to learn to overcome. And um, I did that because I learned how to use a computer and I learned that I couldn't read my own writing. And oh. so I had to try to fix that. And I was, I was doing a lot of really different things. So anyways, this was where the letter writing came in. Okay. I, 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 had to, I had to be able to, you know, send something that somebody else could read. And so I ended up going and taking, I think at the time it was the Thea on the urge of my daughter. Okay. Who sat me down and kind of gave me a a weekend. We sort of, we sort of, you know, just sort of um, studied for a weekend. And the least that you know, that you need to know about English was one of the, one of the best books for me. Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah, because it just was very straightforward and simple. And what was the uh, Rhea? Do you remember what that was? The Thea. Thea. What was that? I do not remember what that stood for, but at the time it was the it was the college entr- entrance exam that needed to be 
Oh, take. gotcha. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Thank you. So, so I took, I sat and I took that college entrance exam after I had been through this program, after I had started um, volunteering. And then I had already um, been working at a center for independent living. I was an independent living specialist for, for a while. And lo and behold, I took that test. I did not pass the math, but I ended up getting honors in reading and writing and English. So, so. You knew more than you thought, right? Yeah, but I did, but I didn't believe it. So I, I'm I, here. I am in college, and I'm sitting next to 16 year olds, and and okay. going through college. That I started at 42 years old. I started going to college, so and proud of you. then, well, thank you. And and really, I, you know, I I give a lot of credit to my children, especially my son. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And, and so you ended up you- getting your master's. Is that what you said? I did. I got my master's in social work. And in, two years after I, I graduated, I, I um, got my clinical license. Um, so I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I have my own online practice and I specialize in trauma. I'm a, a certified EMDR therapist and a consultant in training. So I'm helping other therapists to become certified in EMDR as well. Can you tell our, our listeners what EMDR is? EMDR is one of three evidence-based treatments that the VA uses to treat PTSD. It stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And the efficacy rates are just phenomenal. They're in the high 80s and low 90s percentiles um, efficacy rates. And I would imagine that just given the title that there is quite a few compliments to applied behavior analysis with regard to shaping behavior and changing behavior slowly over time and things like that? Well, no, it's really very interesting because it's the EMDR is founded on something called the adaptive information processing model. Okay. And, and what we're looking for is what's called the touchstone memory, which would be the beginning seed of that maladaptive neural network where maybe there is behavior at this, you know, in this current uh, time or this present time, or maybe there's triggers that will trigger behaviors in this present time. What we're looking for is that that initial seed to help initiate with bilateral stimulation, allowing the brain to rework that, reprocess that initial touchstone memory to be moved from a place of maladaptive memory that's in the lower two-thirds part of the brain to a place where we have power and control that's in the upper neocortex. That's fascinating, Teresa. That is so fascinating. So when you talk about a seed, could it be something like who might have been abused by their parent when they were very young and then they went into the armed services and came out with PTSD? Would that be Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Because we know now with our research and something called the ACEs study, adverse childhood experiences, okay. you've probably heard of that. Yeah. Um, and it is, it, it basically is saying, you know, those things that happen to us when we're a child, when we have no parent control and or our caregivers may be at risk in some ways that causes stress. And as those stressors accumulate, because a child doesn't know how to process that stress and release that stress, mm-hmm. 
so it compiles within the body. And so if a, if, if a child has stressors, they're more likely to have, you know, more than just one stressor. So what this study found is that if as a child, you had four or more of these adverse childhood experiences, mm-hmm. you could be at risk for something as uh, full-blown PTSD. Mm-hmm. And or other physical um, health factors um, could be at risk as well. Gosh, that is so fascinating. And so you told us that you um, started your own company and you do remote clinical work. Do you mm-hmm. remind me of the name of your company? I know I, ha- I know I have it. My online practice is called Mindful Wellness and Recovery. And then I'm also starting a nonprofit called Gulf Coast Trauma Recovery. And I'm really hoping to be able to increase the capacity of the number of clinicians who are trained to treat trauma and provide for access for people to receive treatment for trauma and also help people to learn a little bit more uh, and broaden awareness about exactly what trauma is, because trauma isn't always, you know, going to war. Oftentimes it's, you know, the the um, poverty or, you know, the small T kinds of traumas yeah. that you know, we live through. Yeah. And, you know, COVID. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Amazing. So your company is Mindful Wellness and Recovery. Tell us the name of the nonprofit again. Gulf Coast Trauma Recovery. I wish you the best of luck. When do you think that it'll be on its seat? Well, we just submitted our papers of formation to the state of Texas. So pending that approval, I have a a board. Um, We have all of our documents, like our bylaws and our, um, all of that, all that paperwork ready to go when um, we apply to the IRS for 501c3. So we're, we're moving along. It could be just a matter of time. Congratulations. Well, it can take quite a while because we're we're not going for a there's a couple of different ways that you can file for a 501c3. We're going we're taking the long application way. So it could take up to a year to get approved by the IRS. Okay. But first we have to get approved by the state of Texas. So sure. Sure. <laughs> fantastic. So, you know, I was writing some notes down and I was curious. I, you know, I, I met your son, of course, 21 years ago. And, you know, sadly, he was such a good fast learner that we didn't keep in touch for a number of years. And so I was curious if you wanted to talk a little bit about his educational career, his the different learning environments. I know when I met him, he was in general education. Is that right? He started in PPCD. Yeah, he was in PPCD for the for two years. Right. And then he was transitioned into a regular education kindergarten classroom. And then from there, he was fully included. He did get, you know, pulled out. But for the most part, special education services were provided to him in the regular education classroom. Mm -hmm. I just felt it was vitally important, even if he wasn't at the same academic level of his age-appropriate peers, that he still needed to be able to learn how to interact with age-appropriate peers and learn um, social skills. So I was always adamant that he was included. And that's one of the things that Partners in Policymaking was really helpful for me in learning to, you know, advocate for him. And navigate Um, that system. Yeah. yeah. And so if I remember correctly, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I, I feel like when I met your son, he didn't have a lot of verbal skills. When I first met him at four, did those develop over time? They did. They 
did. I remember one of the things that a lot of his earlier um, teachers and, and caregivers would kind of complain about was him saying the word no. He said the word no a lot. Uh-huh. Uh, but, but what they didn't understand that that was a triumph for us, yes. for him to be able to say the word no, because he used to have an ear piercing scream. Yes. That would just one time we were at a local grocery store and he was overwhelmed, you know, by, by stimulus at that point. And we were getting ready to leave the store and we had checked out before I could get out the door. He, he let out one of those, those ear piercing screams Mm -hmm. and everybody in the entire store stopped (laughs) and looked at us. One of those Um, things. Yes. We celebrate a no when that is the other behavior yes, that you have yes, yes please honor his no exactly yeah. and you know yeah. we talk we talk a lot about that about being able to say I don't want to like no thank you or no you know and to tell people adults and kids no and for it to be honored so but that yeah. was a long time ago and like I said you live in a small community and I think the term PDD or PDD on OS or autism was probably new to a lot of your community members and, and so, certainly for for him to be included yeah. was I think he was probably, if not the first, he was one of the first. Oh, absolutely. Oh, for sure. For sure. And so tell us a little bit more about his older elementary years and then middle and high school. Well, he had a number of behavior issues at school. There were times I got multiple phone calls and most of his teachers, um, they knew that uh, I was supportive of them and him. And uh, at the time, there was a school principal that we got along really well. She um, called me and was very upset because um, he had bullied another kid. And I was just flabbergasted because it was the exact opposite of all of my fears and concerns was he he bullied, which, you know, he did get, you know, some, have some interesting, you know, social interaction come up. So I wanted her to, you know, like punish him in the way that I thought was appropriate. And she's like, Oh no, we can't do that. We couldn't do that. (laughs) I'm like, yes, you can. But it was really interesting because, again, it was another part of my learning because I did a lot of research and I realized that I had changed my language to make everything that I said to my son as a statement, reframing it from a question to a statement so that he could process it, right? It's easier to process. Well, in order for him to, you know, develop more empathy which he did have empathy because I had seen it. Mm -hmm. Um, But in order for him to develop more empathy and to be able to process things at a deeper level with more understanding, I had to start asking him questions again. Oh. And, and, And it opened up a lot for him. And he was able to then, you know, answer those questions. Yeah. Uh, Earlier, he had a lot of echolalia where he would just repeat the question. Well, oddly enough, he would answer a question. He, he, for example, when I was in partners in policymaking, I learned about self-determination and I needed to ask him and what he wanted to do and what was important to him. And um, they were encouraging us to take our children, no matter their age, to the ARD meetings. So I knew it was important to 
ask him about the ARD meetings. Um, I didn't want to take him because I felt like he was just too young to really um, to really go. And I wouldn't even be able to, you know, concentrate on what was going on because I'm more concerned about what he was, you know, getting into. Um, So as I'm running out the door, I stopped and I turned and I asked him, do you have any I'm going I told him, I said, I'm going to meet your teachers. Is there anything that you want me to say? And he's like, yes. And I mean, that just stopped me cold because I was so shocked. <laughs> because like I said, he repeated a lot of questions. Sure. So he said, yes. And I said, what? <laughs> and he said, I don't want to ride the second bus. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? And he, I couldn't get anything else out of him. I had to run. So this was this was the annual art at the end of the year. And so I went, we did everything, and it's almost wrapping up. People are starting to sign off. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> My son has something that he wanted to say. And like I did, where I just stopped and my mouth kind of fell open, everybody else did the same thing that was in this art meeting. And they said, what? So I told them what he said. And his uh, PPCD teacher started to cry. Oh. And I'm like, okay, somebody really has to tell me what this means now because I didn't have a clue. So essentially what it meant was he wanted to ride the regular bus. He didn't want to ride the special education bus. Wow. Mm-hmm. What advocacy at such a young age. I know it. Sissy, I so enjoyed our conversation with Teresa about her son and about herself. You know, what a an incredible success story, taking her son's disability or diagnosis to better herself, to oh, yeah. become a licensed social worker, and to improve the life of her child. I mean, it, she's an amazing person. She really is. I also loved learning about treatments for PTSD, a post-traumatic stress disorder. I would have I never knew all the things that she was telling us about wellness and recovery and, you know, so proud of her for starting the nonprofit, the Gulf Coast Trauma Recovery Center. You know, if, if listeners, if you are someone who might benefit from it and might be interested in the nonprofit, take a look at the Gulf Coast Trauma Recovery. Sounds like a great, great effort for her community. Yeah, she was fantastic. And I'm so excited about the things that she has going on, you know, not just for her son, which are fantastic, but the idea of helping people with post-traumatic stress disorder. What a gift. What a gift. Yeah, she's amazing. So do we have a question? We do. And it's kind of, you know, similar to perhaps other questions that we've had on our podcast, but I think it's always a good topic to revisit. So, you know, Teresa talked about her son's teachers being really frustrated about his screaming behavior and, you know, being in the grocery store and screaming in the grocery store. And she was so excited when he finally was able to use the word no instead of screaming. And you and I know that's a really good functionally equivalent replacement behavior. So the question is, would using the word no as a functionally equivalent replacement behavior be a a differential reinforcement of other behavior or DRO, B, differential reinforcement of lower rates of behavior, DRL, C, differential reinforcement of alternative behaviors, DRA, or D, 
differential reinforcement of incompatible behaviors, which would be DRI? That's a really good question. And I know we have had similar questions before, but but the DR procedures, I think, are so powerful. I love that we get to talk about them again. And I also think that is something that moms and dads can use with their children as well. You do not have to be a BCBA to figure out a differential reinforcement system for your kiddo. So the DRO would be other or zero rates of the behavior. And I, I don't see that happening there. So I would say it's not the DRO. Correct. And what would be an incompatible behavior to uh, screaming? I suppose lips together would be an incompatible behavior to screaming. But how does that help him meet his needs? So I wouldn't call it a DRI. And we didn't hear anything about how many times he was screaming and then the procedure happened. And so he was doing the behavior less and less, which would give us the DRL or differential reinforcement of lower rates of behavior. So I would have to say it is the DRA, one of my favorites, (laughs) because you're using an alternative behavior that meets the same need. So rather than scream to tell them that he didn't want to do something or he didn't want something, he learned to say no So that became the alternative to screaming, saying no. Right. And so, you know, if using that procedure, DRA, the idea there, well, with all DRs, the idea is DR simply means you're reinforcing something different than the problem behavior, right? So you're reinforcing saying no versus screaming. And saying no is way more efficient and requires less work on the learner's part. And so you would definitely reinforce that and making sure that when you reinforce it, you're pretty quick with it because we want to make sure that he understands that he's getting reinforced for saying no, not getting reinforced for the screaming. So good job. So you don't think he's just going to automatically get the idea to say no rather than scream? We're going to actually have to set up some reinforcement for him to see that that's powerful? (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, with the screaming, it's worked for him, right? And so you know, screaming gets me out of what I don't want to do. So why invest energy into something else, right? What's I have to have a why bother. So if I say the word no, there's got to be a why bother for saying the word no, which is the reinforcement. So, and I think with a lot of procedures in ABA, you know, like DRs and oh, there's other, other strategies that we use where we forget the our part. We forget the reinforcement part, right? We just want him to say no instead of screaming, but we forget that we have to reinforce it to give him the why bother. So anyway. um, The other thing that I think about with that is some people might be frustrated with teaching a child to say no, like they should not be allowed to say no. Mm -hmm. But uh, let's see if he's screaming so loudly that the manager in the grocery store asks you to leave versus, and so now you don't get to get your groceries bought and he doesn't get to go out in public and suddenly the world becomes smaller and smaller. I would much rather honor a no so that we can stay in the grocery store. He is still a part of his community and I get my grocery shopping done. So hmm, it's definitely preferable to the other. So yeah. Yeah. And alternatives just mean something different, right? And like you said, with incompatible, you're looking at something that's impossible. So like you said, keeping his lips closed is it's impossible to scream with your lips closed. 
and you know that's not a procedure that I use personally as often as I <laughs> use DRA. But thanks everybody for listening. We look forward to you getting a chance to hear part two of our conversation with Teresa, where she talks about some amazing things that are continuing to happen in her and her son's lives. So as always, happy Friday and have a great weekend. Thanks. Come back next week. Bye. Bye.